Now, today we are in, as Tim said, part three of our series called Found. And this series is birthed out of several stories that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. So in in Luke 15, Jesus was interacting with some religious leaders. And so he was telling these religious leaders what God is really like and what's really important to him. And I'm glad you're here today, you know, rain and all, because I think today's message is one of the most important messages in this entire series. And I think it can radically change how we view and interact with God. So I'm glad you're here for for this today. Now, before we dive into kind of the meat of today's message, I want to tell you a story that's going to set up the bottom line for our message today. And it's also going to cause you to question my skills as a parent. So you ready? The three people are ready for my story. Okay, so the other people who aren't, you can wake up anytime you want, but I'm going to jump in, all right? So a few years ago, my wife and I decided we were going to take a trip to, or we were deciding to take a trip to North Carolina to see some family up there. Um, My wife's sister lives there. We have nieces and nephews up there. And so my kids, at the time we had Sydney who was six and Maddie who was four. So Sydney and Maddie were super excited to go see their cousins. They couldn't wait. And for whatever reason, I can't remember, we decided not to go, not to take the trip. So we told the kids and they were super sad, super bummed about that. But my oldest, Sydney, decided, you know what? I'm going anyway. I'm a six-year-old kid. I can figure out my way to get to North Carolina. So she went upstairs. She packed her bag. She came back downstairs. I was outside doing some landscaping in the front yard. She came out. She steps on the porch, and I look over, and I see her with her bag. Like, what are you doing? I'm going to North Carolina. Well, how are you going to get there? I'm walking. I'm going. I'm with or without you guys. I'm going. And then... Uh, Maddie comes out and she's crying like, dad, no, stop her. Don't let her go. Please, dad, please don't let Sydney go. This is going to be terrible. Tammy comes out and she's like watching the moment. What's he going to do? How's he going to handle this one? So I'm standing there and I'm like, well, um, good luck with that, Sydney. Let's see how that goes for you. So she walks down the street. Our little six-year-old with her back. She's stomping down the street, and she's angry, and she's looking back over her shoulder. And every time she looks back over her shoulder, I'm working. I'm working in the yard, picking weeds or whatever I'm doing. And then when she looks forward, I look up, and I'm watching everything she does. And then she looks back, and I'm working. And she looks forward, and I'm watching. And she looks back, and I'm working. And I'm thinking that she's going to get around the corner, and she's going to come to her senses and come home. That's what I'm thinking. We never saw her again after that. (laughs) We actually did, just a joke. So she got to the corner, she looks back, and she's at that why in the road moment. Like, what do I do? Dad's called my bluff. Like, what am I going to do here in this moment? And what I figured, she turned, she comes running home, and it's this emotional, ah, it's my first runaway experience, and I almost died. And so she's coming home to us, and Maddie's crying, and Tammy's crying, and Sydney's crying. And I grab Sydney, and I, I squeeze her and hug her, and said, don't you ever do that again. That was a terrible decision. You never go off on your own by yourself. Like, don't ever do that. And then Tammy looks at me with those eyes of like, that was the stupidest thing you've ever done. Don't you ever do that again. 
So here's the point of the story. While you are questioning my parenting skills and probably wondering how my kids have survived so long with me as their dad. So the point is, sometimes the greatest act of love from us to someone else is to wait for them to come to their senses and come home on their own. Now, you shouldn't do that with your six-year-old, okay? So just so we're all on board, okay? So not six-year-olds, but sometimes in our lives, there are people who wander away from us, people who wander away from their relationship with God. And sometimes the hardest, but sometimes the, the greatest act of love that we can do for that person, the greatest thing that we can give that person in that moment is to wait for them to come to their senses and come home on their own. And we're going to see that in a really big way today. So we'll be in Luke chapter 15. If you want to open your Bibles there, you can. If you've got a Bible app, you can pull that up. Verses will be on the screen as well. Now, the backdrop of Luke 15 is that Jesus was interacting with some religious leaders. And these religious leaders were very upset with Jesus because he was hanging out with the wrong people. He was spending time with tax collectors and notorious sinners, and he was even eating with them, which was a a huge problem in Jesus' day because they would say, like, you don't ever eat with somebody that that you don't want to be associated with. Because when you eat with them, you're saying you're accepting of their life, you're approving of them, and your friendship with them, and the religious leaders wouldn't do that. But Jesus was a different kind of religious leader. And so Jesus tells them three stories. He tells them the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost son, which is also called the prodigal son story. So this is the prodigal son story. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. So he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home and say to my father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while I was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Well, meanwhile... The older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and we're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him 
But he replied, all these years, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to to do. And and all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a, a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So that is the prodigal son story. Last week, we looked at it from the son's perspective. Today, we're going to look at it from the father's perspective. And then next week, we're going to look at it from the older brother's perspective. And what we're doing in this series is we're just kind of marinating in this biblical truth. And sometimes we really need to do that. We probably need to do that more often than we do. There are moments where we learn a a Bible lesson, a Bible story, and we blast through it too quick. And there are moments we just kind of need to camp out in an area. And we need to let God like wash his truth over our lives again and again and again. And so that's kind of what we're trying to do today. So there's some repeat in the, the last week, today's message and next week's message, a little bit of that. So we always get the context of what we're doing. But we're going to, again, look at this from the father's perspective today. For those of you who are new with us, the original uh, listeners to this story would have been blown away at how Jesus crafted this story. He crafted it in, in such a way that would go against their culture. And they would have expected this father to kick this disrespectful, rebellious son out of his home and out of their community. Because parental respect was such a big deal back then, Uh, his respect within the community and respect within his family would be at risk. So they would have expected this father to deal with him harshly and to deal with him quickly. But in Jesus' story, this father simply divides his wealth between his sons. We learned last week that the father's wealth would have been wrapped up in real estate and livestock. So for him to grant his son's request, he would have to sell some of his belongings. And so we also learned that that word wealth can also be translated life. So this father's not just like dividing his wealth for his boys. That's hard enough for us to believe in the context of this story. But he's also dividing his life for his boys. And I know that some of you know what that's like. You know what it's like to divide your heart, to have your heart kind of ripped apart by someone that you love, maybe a kid, maybe a spouse, maybe a parent, maybe a family member somewhere that, that just doesn't want to, to do the right thing, just wants to take everything you've given and to just run away. God knows exactly what that's like. Now, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you should have noticed that these stories were, have been told in, in a slightly different manner. So the first two stories are similar. We've got the story of the man who goes after his one lost sheep. We've got the story of the woman who goes after her one lost coin. But in this story, the father doesn't go after the son. He doesn't go to the big city to try to find his son. He doesn't send him money so he's not, well, at least he's not feeding pigs anymore. I'm going to send him some money to get him out of that financial debt, that financial mess he's gotten himself into. The father in this story simply waits. We've got to remember as Jesus is telling this story that this story fits in the context of a bigger story that we all live in. And we've got to remember who this father represents. 
So this father represents God, our heavenly father. And Jesus is telling us that there are moments that the God, our heavenly father, scours the earth to find that which is lost. And then there are other moments that God waits for us to come to our senses and to come home. And verse 17 tells us a little bit more about that. It says, when he, the lost son who was wasting his life, finally came to his senses. That's what God was waiting for, for him to come to his senses. He said to himself at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'm going to go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. So please take me on as a hired servant. So like I mentioned earlier, sometimes the greatest thing that we can do for someone who has wandered away is to simply wait for them to come to their senses and come home on their own. Now that's difficult. I don't know about you, but I hate waiting for anything. I I hate waiting for the popcorn in the microwave. Uh, I hate waiting for the light to turn on when I flip the switch. It should go faster. It should know I'm there. Um, We hate waiting. And I, I hate waiting for someone to come to their senses and come home. Those are painful moments. But God is waiting for all of us to do that. And we learned last week that the context of coming to our senses is the beginning of this process that we called repentance. So repentance is that thing where we say, like, I, I admit that I've been wrong. And more than just admit it, more than just say I'm wrong, because we can do that and not turn in and learn to do right. It's this turning thing. I admit, I confess, I am turning from that thing. I'm turning from my old ways. I'm turning from that sin that I've been involved in. And I'm turning to God to radically change me. That's what repentance means. And again, it's, it's way bigger than this concept of I'm sorry because we can be sorry about something and not change. We can be sorry about a decision that we've made and not change from that decision and make that same decision tomorrow or next week or next month and then be sorry again and stay in that stuck spot. So repentance is about significant life change where we move forward. And so big question for us today, is there anything you need to repent of? Not just say I'm sorry for, but is there anything going on in your world right now where you know, like, I've got to repent. I've got to acknowledge it, admit it, confess it to God and turn from it and turn to God and have him radically change me. If there's anything you need to repent of, I pray that you will. You could do that this morning. Now watch what God does when we come to our senses and when we repent. Verse 20 says, so he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And I love the context of that. So we've got the father who's home. He's he's working. He's got a lot to do around uh, the home. And yet every day he's watching the horizon. He's watching to see, is today the day? Is today going to be the day that my son turns and comes home and he sees the moment? He sees the day. He sees his son coming before his son sees him. And he, verse 20 continues and says, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. Now for us, 
listening to this story is, is kind of a nice moment. You know, for us, you know, we may get a little teary-eyed about it, and we may feel, you know, deeply emotional about it and grateful for how God responds to us. But again, we got to remember the original audience that Jesus was talking to. He was talking to these uptight, upset religious leaders who were extremely upset with Jesus for the people that he's spending time with. So again, as they hear this story, they have certain expectations. They would expect this father to kick his son out of the community. And if that arrogant, rebellious son were to ever come back, the father would most likely stand in a position of disapproval. Would he run to his son? Of course not. The father wouldn't do that. The son would have to crawl his way back to his father and grovel at his feet while the father considers whether he will allow his son to be a servant. Certainly not a family member again. And sometimes I think we have that perception of God. There are moments that we see God as this cold-hearted, distant, always disapproving of us kind of God. And when we think about coming to God, often we think, oh, I've got to kind of crawl my way to him. I've got to grovel at his feet and you know, just kind of stay there while God kind of considers my punishment and whether he's going to forgive me or not. That wrong perception of God has kept people from him for a very long time. Maybe it's keeping you from him. Jesus says that's not what he's like. He's a God who runs to us. He's a God who runs to us in those moments when we are repenting and turning to him. So when was the last time you saw God like that? When was the last time you saw God running to you in that moment where you're ashamed of what you've done and you turn to him like, I gotta go back to God? When was the last time you saw God running to embrace you? That's what he's like. Look what else God does after embracing and, and, and kissing his son. Um, verse 22 says, but his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that, that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost but now he's found. So the party began. Anybody here like parties? Like most of us like parties. I don't think we've ever experienced a party like God throws. God throws some amazing parties and God is a party thrower when people repent and turn back to him. Now follow me because this is going to get real interesting here in the next few minutes. Not only does God throw a party for his son, but he welcomes him back into the family. So symbolized by the ring he puts on his finger, the sandals on his feet, the robe on his shoulder, he welcomes him back into the family as if he'd never left. And that would give him um, entitlement to the family wealth again. He would be an heir to what's left of the family wealth. So he doesn't have to earn his way back. He doesn't have to pay his dad for blowing his inheritance. He's simply welcomed back in the family. Now, for him, that would cost him nothing. But for his family, it would cost him everything. So think about this for just a moment. At this point in the story, 
What does the father own? He owns nothing. So remember, we go back in the story. The father divided his wealth between his sons. So he gave everything to his boys. So his younger son blew his inheritance. Who has the remaining wealth in the family? The older brother. The oldest son has the remaining wealth. Who would pay the price for the younger son to come home? The older brother. Can you imagine paying the price for one of your siblings for some stupid thing that they did? Anybody have siblings? Anybody want to pay the price for one dumb thing they did? Like, no, not, none of us. I, I don't. I have an older brother and older sister. I would never want to do that. Who wants to share your inheritance with a sibling who blows theirs? Anybody? No, no. I, we could never imagine that. But that's what Jesus did for us. The Bible says that Jesus is our older brother. And that Jesus paid all that he had for us. He gave his life so that we could be welcomed back into God's family. And Jesus wasn't sad about that decision. Jesus wasn't sad about sharing his inheritance with us. So that's what God the Father is like. And that's what our true older brother is like. But we have to remember that God is waiting. He's still waiting on on many of us, I I think, because there's many ways for us to come to our senses and come back to God. And maybe one of those ways is, is this way. Maybe we have to admit when we've had the wrong perception of God. And when Jesus told these stories to the religious leaders, he wasn't saying these stories to put them down, to say, well, you're nothing like me is, is you know, the, this true representation of God to the world. He was explaining to them, this is what God's like. You got the wrong perception, guys. You're seeing God the wrong way. Why do I spend so much time with tax collectors and sinners? Because God wants me to help find lost people. So sometimes I think we need to admit we've had the wrong perception of God and and get this crazy twist in the story. What is this story called in the Bible? Prodigal son story. All right, now the word prodigal doesn't mean what we think it means. Often we think the word prodigal means wayward or lost, but listen to the true definition of prodigal. Prodigal means this, to spend money freely or recklessly, to spend until you have nothing left, to give something on an extravagant scale. So based on that definition, that word prodigal can describe God. It can describe God the Father. It can describe God the Son. It's an interesting kind of twist in the story to think that God's the one who paid all that he had who gave everything that he had, that, that Jesus paid the ultimate price and gave extravagantly with his life so that we could come home. Again, when was, when was the last time you saw God like that? When was the last time you saw Jesus like that? And maybe this morning, there's a few of us that need to say, God, I've been wrong. I've had the wrong perception of you all along. I've seen you as this distant, cold-hearted, cosmic cop kind of God, throwing lightning bolts at people when they mess up. And, And I've not seen you as the God who pays an extravagant price for me and who runs to me 
so that I can come home. And maybe this morning, during our closing song, maybe you need to talk to God about that wrong perception that you've had of him. The Apostle Paul tells us another way, I think, that we can come to our senses and come back to God. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.19, he says, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. So God was paying the ultimate price through Jesus to bring us back so he could forgive us of all of our sin debt. Like that is so profound. And then the apostle Paul goes on and says, and because of this, he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors and God is making his appeal through who? Us. If you're a Christ follower, God is making his appeal through you. And for we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So maybe for some of us, the way that we come to our senses is through an admission that, you know what, I haven't been the best ambassador for God that I need to be. You know, maybe at work, maybe even at home, maybe at school, you haven't been like helping people understand what a proper perception of God is, what God is really like. Maybe you haven't been clearly articulating that to them. Maybe you haven't been showing that through your actions. And maybe this morning you, you need to confess that to God and you need to commit to that and say, God, would you teach me how to be your ambassador? Like when was the last time you pleaded with somebody to see God the way he really is and to come to him? Like I, my own confession, I don't do that nearly enough in my own life. But Paul says, we plead with people. We speak on God's behalf because God is that kind of God who says, please come home. Another way that we might come to our senses is by entering a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today as a new person, you've been coming for a few weeks or a few months, and, and maybe you've just never had that kind of perception of God. And, and maybe today's the day that you realize, you know, I want a relationship with a God like that. A God who will come after me, a God who will, who will uh, call me home, a God who will embrace me, a God who will love me, and all of, my, all of my mess. You can start a relationship with that God today, and you do it through a conversation, you do it through a, a prayer where you say, God, I need you. Like, I desperately need you to come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, I believe you died so I can live. You paid an extravagant price for me. And I receive that free gift. We can boil that down to just three easy things. God, I admit I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe, Jesus, you are that Savior. And I commit to follow you. So if you need to, I encourage you, during our closing music song, that you would do that. You would make that decision, start that conversation now. Now, for others of you, maybe there's some other thing that God is saying to you about coming to your senses and coming home, but whatever that is, will you do that? Will you do that during this song? Will you make that commitment to come to your senses and come home? So let's pray together. God, I'm so grateful for powerful stories like this in scripture where we can learn what you're really like. Or so often we have the wrong perception. 
So often we just see you as the distant, cold-hearted God, and we don't see you as the God who will scour the earth for us. We don't see you as the God who runs to us in those moments when we repent and come back to you. So God, I know there's a bunch of ways that we can come to our senses and come back to you. So I I pray for, for all of us here today. Lord, I know you're speaking to all of us individually. I pray that today we would more than just come to our senses. If there's something we need to repent of, we will. We'll repent of that thing. We'll turn from it. We'll turn to you. And Lord, I pray for for those who may need to enter a personal relationship with you. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they do that. I pray that today would be the day they see the extravagant price that you paid to welcome them home. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So God paid an extravagant price to make it possible for us to come home. Um, I hope that you will understand that at a whole new level today as you leave. And on your way out, I hope you'll also do is stop by our found boards. We've got two found boards as you're walking out on the right-hand side. And it's a way for us to kind of continue to share the story of what we have found when God has found us. So if you'll stop by that table, you can sign one of the um, little post-it notes that are there and then just post it on that found board. And then maybe just pause and spend a few minutes looking through what other people found when they found God. And next week, we're going to look at this story again from the older brother perspective. So I hope you'll come back for that. Thanks for being here, everybody. Stay dry. Have a great Sunday.